Hello, and this is Change Champions with Trish Burley and Charlene Thompson. And Trish is going to introduce the topic for today. Thanks, Charlene. Okay, so what we've been thinking about is uh, when there is a great deal of turbulence and chaos going in your world, and what, it, what started me thinking around this was the spiking gas prices causing chaos, for example, in the energy market. So that might mean that you've got loads of ideas uh, for change in your company, some of them driven by necessity, and they're all fighting for resources and fighting for airtime. So what we wanted to talk about was how do people uh, decide which of these ideas for change to get behind and, and to give the resources to? Thank you. It's, it's a real, real tricky one because obviously, change or attention anything that wants to grab your attention can come from so many different places and obviously you know there's things that are outside our control like what is happening with the energy and the gas prices but my question is is that yes all you know things deserve attention but there's attention and then there's action can you do anything about the situation or is it that everybody's panicking and everybody's saying, let's just keep talking about this? Because I think everybody's been in a meeting where nothing comes as a result of it. We've just come to the meeting, moaned about the situation and there, there's, there's no action points afterwards. So it's just, okay, so we've all let off a bit of steam, but we're gonna do the same thing again next week. So why are we doing this? Um, and that's the part that annoys me. <laughs> I really feel you there because this is like uh, uh, there's that phrase lots of heat and no light <laughs> and, uh, you know kind of sums up for me uh, and you've got to allow that you've got to allow that in organizations for, for people to have uh, and express some anxiety around it but if that doesn't then um, end up in some kind of discipline drive towards action that's what we need so uh, you can, for example, start a meeting by letting everybody have a little bit of a vent about it, but then somebody's got to be controlling the process, which gets us to, okay, right, what are we going to do about it? And specifically, who's going to do what and when? So that, that element of, you know, allowing the uh, letting off of emotions and ending up with some real disciplined kind of forward action, uh, yeah. which you and I as project managers really like, don't we? Yeah. Um, and um, what you were saying there about somebody guiding it, this is the reason why you ought to really have a meeting facilitator. When there's any more than, I'd say four people, so five people and above, I think there should be a set, this is the person running the meeting, this is the person taking notes. That's, you know, yes, you're gonna be in the meeting, but I think those roles should be designated because that's how it gets into a free for all. And particularly where, where everybody's online now, or the majority of us are on, is it even the majority? I'm not sure. Many of us are online now. <laughs> and we can be in meetings where there's 20, 30 people in a room and that's still classified as a meeting and not a conference. And that would never happen really in person you know occasionally you, you you'd get all of your um uh the the sales teams for the two neighboring boroughs or whatever in, in a room but it doesn't happen anywhere near as regularly as as it's happening online so that's why meetings do actually need to be guided uh when there's um a certain amount but in terms of 
actually, you know, how, how does one prioritize or how does one get their, um, their uh, innovation, their project to the top of the list? How, what guidance would you have there? You, because we, we sort of always kind of expect that the best idea, somehow the best idea will win out, you know, the best solution, the best way forward. Um, and, and people think, you know, this is somehow going to float to the surface and it will be very clear. But human nature is not like that. Uh, what tends to happen is whoever speaks loudest, uh, whoever is most forceful or whoever can get most airtime probably gets their idea or their solution to the problem uh, at the top of the pile. And if we don't employ a little bit of um, I, I like to think of it as the application of science. If we don't put a little bit of forethought and a bit of planning into something, then our idea just gets pushed aside and then it doesn't get the resources it needs. It doesn't get the airtime it needs. Yes. And, you know, what you were saying, you know, people with the biggest voices, if you don't have one of the big voices, then, you know, ways to get around that is finding your champions, finding your supporters you know, maybe going to somebody who's going to be in that decision meeting and going to them specifically, somebody who you believe would be receptive to your project and having your own separate meeting with them beforehand to, you know, go over the issues and, and state your point. That's not like, you know, giving them some kind of back alley bribe. It's mm. making sure that at least one person in the meeting um, knows enough about your project to be able to argue for it should they be inclined to um because you you know you might not be best friends with the the cfo or, or whatever but that doesn't mean that they can't understand your point of view so and even if you can't have the direct conversation if you can have a conversation with your manager who might be able to have the direct conversation that doesn't hurt yeah i think this um this whole idea of preparing the ground um and uh, uh just giving your your idea your solution a fertile ground to to land on uh, so this idea of briefing people one-to-one -one, but also before you go into briefing people one-to-one -one, briefing key stakeholders is having done your homework your background work that you're armed with some of the facts and the figures your some of the you've preempted some of the questions that they're going to ask so you can give a knowledgeable and, 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 and quite a focused briefing to that person rather than just saying, hey, I've got, I've got this great idea that I had in a dream last night. So, so it's much more uh, you do your background, you do your preparation. Uh, here's something that I've, I've kind of got partially ready. And, you know, what I now want is your input into this. You know, are you interested? So I, from that, I think the person will hopefully respect the fact that you've done the background work on it, but also uh, they will hopefully feel somewhat flattered to be actually asked to be an early provider of input and opinion. So that kind of like engagement piece where you start asking them open questions, that's the bit that follows the, you know, like the homework, if you like. Yes, definitely. I agree with that. And um, particularly the people feeling flattered. I, I first read about that only maybe five years ago, and it still surprises me how flattered somebody who does 
X thing all day, every day, and then you ask them about it. It's like, of course I would ask you about it. You're the, <laughs> you're the brain on this subject, but they still feel flat. And it's because we're all human. We don't, you know, it's almost like the more you know, the, um, the more you realize you don't know. So you will always say things like maybe and, thing, and things like that because you're aware of, 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 of everything. Whereas other people are looking at you from the outside and thinking, you know, absolutely everything. But that wasn't even my point. My point was doing your research one of the things that should be done as well when you're doing a research is looking at what will happen as a result, what won't happen as a result of somebody choosing your project. So if everybody, if all of the time resources are going to be going towards all much of uh, going towards your project, what then has to stop? Because if you don't think about that, then either they will decide what other projects has to stop or they will decide that no other projects have to stop. And everything should be done at the same time. And that's why that should be a part of your research so that you can get in there at the beginning to give that possible suggestion. Otherwise you could end up in a situation where you are, are doing absolutely everything and that's not what anybody wanted because nothing gets done well. I, I think that's really important. And, and my own experience has been that it's just like, that's a great idea, we'll do it as well. And before you know it, uh, we've got complete, overload of change and I think this is one of the reasons why people fear change because it's almost like you know like there's a little you open a little tiny kind of window and then you get this deluge of stuff yeah. coming at you and a lot of that change at the moment particularly in the very volatile uncertain times that we're in is a lot of that change is outside of your control. These are changes you haven't chosen, they've been foist upon you. So I think that I love that idea that, you know, your part of your homework has to focus on, look, if we do this, which will solve an immediate problem, we can put these things on ice because uh, they, there's no point in working on them at the moment, mm. or, the solutions that they provide are going to be superseded by some element of this. And I think to, to go in, you know, having looked like you've given some thought and uh, you've got some good questions to ask of them, uh, you know, kind of like drawing on their experience, drawing on their seniority, I think that's going to get you a lot further in engaging a stakeholder than going in and giving a presentation about the idea. Yeah, that's very true. And again, you know, if you're, you know, you're talking about C-suite or anybody senior, they don't have time. They don't want to spend time thinking about the nitty gritty and details of anything more than they have to, you know? And so they're not necessarily just going to say yes, no, and tick this box or whatever, but the easier you make it for them, the simpler you make it for them to be able to say, if I make this decision, if I take the red pill or push the red button, then these other things will happen. And if I take the blue pill, these other things will happen. Then they are only left with the, okay, I just simply need to make this decision rather than having to think about all of the consequences because that's what they do all the time. Mm, I'm a big fan of what I call the pre-digested decision. Um, and it, it kind of um, reminds me of, you know, if you go into a favorite restaurant, uh, it might be something like a, a Mexican restaurant, maybe Charlene. Um, <laughs> Uh, then um, if somebody comes up to you and, and sort of says, you know, they, they, here are the specials of the day, we've got a special X, Y and Z, you know, there's two or three things, they often do that with it. And they might say, I recommend 
such and such, it's really good. And that suddenly they haven't told you what you're doing, what you're deciding, but they've just made it easier for you to choose the caramel sauce over the chocolate sauce, for example. <laughs> that's so very true. And that's the thing, you know, we love choice. And that's the whole thing about freedom. It gives you choice. But choice can be overwhelming. It can lead to burnout at all different stages. And that's the reason why you have to make it easier for people to make choices. Um, and again, going back to the beginning, being aware that sometimes your idea is not going to float to the top of the pile naturally because you don't have the loudest voice or, no, you know, have been rubbing shoulders with the right people. But at the end of the day, people are in business for a reason. Mm. And I don't believe people purposefully go around making terrible decisions that have terrible consequences. So, you know, appealing to people's actual business acumen. And it might be long term, but, you know, there's just ways, there's communication skills that you can read up on. But obviously, if something's happening really quickly, it's much more about who you know, rather than simply the facts, because facts don't always you need facts are carried in by feelings yeah I and I, I agree with you and when when you're trying to influence somebody or you know sort of to 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 back your idea um giving them word pictures uh giving them stories I think is really really vital so you find that the next thing you hear them telling someone else and they're they're using your little story or anecdote or whatever to illustrate that and if these people are well connected, again, coming back to your doing your homework, you can find out who's connected through formal networks. Maybe they're on the same committees or working groups, et cetera, or project teams um, and informal groups. You know, who's in the company choir or who was on that fundraiser uh, that, that we did last month or whatever and finding out who knows who that way. Uh, you can drop into the conversation alongside your, your, your questions and your briefing, uh, how they can kind of help get the idea off the ground, maybe by, by uh, speaking to somebody on your behalf. This yes. is kind of a whole idea of advocacy. Yes. And then, so thinking about it from the decision makers perspective, how does one go about setting an atmosphere in their team, in their department, in their company, that they don't only hear from the same people all the time. Because again, nobody really has time. We want to make decisions easy. It's going to be much easier for you as a person um, in a position of power to only listen to three people. Yeah, it just reminded me of an anecdote from right back at the beginning of my career when I was a graduate with British Gas and the the then um, chairman of British Gas decided he wanted to hear from people, you know, at the at the, the sharp end and um, uh, decided to go and talk to some of the operatives in one of the big warehouses and turned up unannounced on the loading bay of this particular warehouse, uh, whereupon he was actually thrown off the premises uh, by somebody who didn't recognise who he was. <laughs> and decided that he was he was trying to blag his way in so that was that was hilarious you know but yeah you you can you can get yourself in an echo chamber of hearing the same kind of voices and uh this is why having advocates at all levels and uh tapping in on people who are very pro-change you know this sort of 
innovators and early adopters of, of change, those ones who were excited by it rather than fearful of it, those people are likely to be out spreading the word through their informal networks and any opportunity that they get to push this idea out into the ether. Yes, yes. And then also there's, I've seen it not done so well, but it's, it's, it's worth talking about the whole um, ask me anything sessions. Um, or an inbox where you can send um, any suggestions, basically like the suggestion box that would have been in the kitchen if everybody was in the same office. And I like that because, you know, it's really clear, it's really simple. You can just put anything in there and then people do read it. But I think you really do need to build, again, that sense of trust that, yes, we do actually look at these and um, uh, we do take some of them seriously. And I feel like being able to, because you're saying the people that are really passionate and voice their, voice their need for change a lot, introverts won't necessarily do that. They might speak to their closest confidants or they might not say anything at all. And so how do we get ideas out of their heads? And so I'd like to find more ways. And um, we do have employee engagement surveys, obviously, um, which are getting better and are much more widely used. Thank you, everyone. Um, but there needs to be, you as a senior leader need to find more ways to make sure your people know that they can speak to you. They need to have access to you in some way, shape or form. It might not be one-to-ones obviously, um, but that trust, they need to know that you're actually interested in the people that make your business work. Mm. And, and I think part of that as a, as a leader, as a senior uh, person in an organization, uh, you have to show up as being like a human being, you know, as if you're approachable. And um, it, that, that somebody could actually stop you in the corridor and ask a question or make an observation on something. So I think um, showing up vulnerable, showing up as open, uh, being, you know, kind of uh, trying to be open in everything, not just about these ideas or about how the business runs, but open as a person uh, so that that um, people know that you welcome questions, you welcome ideas, you welcome um, their input on something at any stage. So mm -hmm. if you're behind a big door and a big desk in a corner office uh, or you're look, you look just very austere, I think people are not going to um, come out of the shell and say something. No, you end up having to summon so much courage just to be able to tap on somebody's door. And again, there's certain people that might find that easier to do. There's even certain people in certain departments. A salesperson might be more likely to do it because they're naturally a bit more confident than some other people. But that means you're just shutting out a whole set of people. There's, there's all kinds of even cultural reasons why certain people don't even... Um, speak directly or honestly to their managers because that's just not what you do to somebody who is senior and so therefore again I think we did speak about this in a, in a previous episode you can get into a situation where there's a problem and you won't know that you'll be the last person to know there's a problem because somebody didn't feel like they could say actually we should be focusing on this other project you could have somebody who fought really hard to get everybody working on this project but now, actually, everybody should be looking over there. But, but due to how hard they had to fight to get the resources for this project, and even though they know that the resources should be going to the other project in, you know, in reality, 
are they going to want to give that up? Are they going to actually voice it? No, because you've created that sense of division between departments, between people, which means that you can't actually collaborate for the greater good. Mm, I was reading about this actually in a um, a book on um, uh, sort of neuroscience, a bit, a bit of light reading on, on neuroscience, <laughs> brain chemistry, whatever. Uh, but it was all about doing perceived personal risk. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, uh, this um, is Dr. Carol Osterweil's book. And um, she, she was talking about you know, the, the, the fact that the, the brain doesn't know the difference between a physical risk and a social risk. They treat it, you know, the brain react, reacts the same. And so we uh, often perceive not saying something like silence is the safe option because yeah. you're not going to get your ears ripped off. You're not going to get into tr- any sort of trouble. It's that you know, if you don't, if silence is golden in, in that respect. And, and people know that, you know, if they did speak up, it might be great and they might get a lot of praise, they might get a lot of recognition and they might not. So mm. it's safer just to, to, you know, shut up and say nothing. Yeah, and that's the reason why it, it is important for leaders to be able to create the kind of environments where people can be open and honest, um, be it, let's focus on this project, be it, I think we need to pay more attention to this. I, we definitely need more resources for that because you're not at the coalface anymore. If you've worked your way up in a company or an industry, you might remember what it's like to be at the coalface, but you're not there right now. Mm. And things have changed a lot since your day as well, possibly yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in that time. But inviting participation in lots of different ways, not just, has anybody got any ideas? Nope, good, let's, you know, let's <laughs> power on. But uh, inviting participation through question good questioning uh from you know lots of different ways of of encouraging participation um and um also uh reacting in a um, encouraging way once you get somebody to open up and start participating so the first reaction sometimes if if you ask somebody a question and they come out with what you perceive as a dumb answer if you can then shut that down uh then everybody else is like i'm not opening up here with this whereas if you can say you know like give them a little bit of space perhaps to build a little bit of confidence and get to their point uh then or even just thank them for their participation anyway even if you're not going to do anything with their observation definitely definitely i completely agree Thank you, Trish. I, I hope that people have um, gained something from this and that, you know, it is about talking to people. Um, it's being aware of what will and will, will not happen as a result of your, your project happening um, or not happening. And so therefore trying their best to um, get it to the top of the pile. Yeah. And we, we said we started off from this point of view of do your homework first. Yeah. Do your homework. Then you go in forewarned is forearmed. Definitely. Thank you very much. We'll be joining you again um, on the next episode. Take care.